You have found the epic narrative. And I'm Bob Switzer, the narrative speaker. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Anna McEwen, Bob's daughter. And this is a very special bonus episode. We are recording. Nice. This is going to be fun. Hi, Bob. (laughs) It's good to see you, my friend. Oh, so much technical fun this morning. I'm glad one of us had fun doing it. we, We got it up and running. So... Ask me anything. Welcome back to Connecticut. <laughs> I love Connecticut. Yeah. So, I I mean, we're going to do... They don't know who I am. My name's Brian. For people listening to this, I'm I'm the guy who... Bob uh, records everything, and then I just edit it and, and upload it to the, uh, to the internet. Um, and uh, we've been friends for a long time, oh, and yeah, so we yeah. wanted to do like an interview style thing. That's going to be pretty... Pretty unedited. I mean, I'll, I'll clean some stuff up if there's background noise. Like, we've got a guy tuning the piano <laughs> in the next room. Classic. But um, we'll, uh, I'll clean some stuff up, but we're not going to really edit anything out. We're just going to have a conversation, and we're going to go with it. So we had a few questions submitted over the internet to uh, talk to Bob for this, this Q&A thing, and uh, I've got them all listed here in front of me, and some of them, some of them are mine. So <laughs> I could be selfish and start with That's those right. two. Just, so wherever you want to go, man. I mean, we we talked for a while about you doing this podcast and trying to get this this story underway. I've I've always heard you tell stories, but pieces of the stories at like camp and stuff like that. But but I know we talked about why it was important for you to tell the whole story and you're trying to figure out a format in which to do that. And I suggested a podcast and it just, I suggested it. And then a couple months later you were like, Hey, so I've got a bunch of episodes ready to go. I want to record them. (laughs) Can you help me with it? Yeah. What, what made you, why do you want to tell the entire story of David? Why, why is it important? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's really about the biblical narrative. Okay. uh, So many people, that I've met that either have walked away from church or are agnostic about God or are atheist will refer to speci- mostly Old Testament stories. And they look at those Old Testament stories and they see a God that they don't want to believe in. And I couldn't disagree with them. I couldn't. So when when I, I, I mean, I've, I've grown a lot in my own spiritual walk. So over time, I've come to a place where it's like, okay, Jesus is the picture of his father. He claims to be that. I believe that he's that. So if I put a Jesus filter on this story, what does it match up with the character of Christ? What does it match up with his life? And I wanted I wanted to tell the story. So I started with, with David because it's familiar to people who don't even know the Bible. There's there's aspects of David's story that just pop into everybody's life, I think. So I figured I'd start there, but um man, we've we've I I, I love I love I love telling stories. So I wanted I wanted to tell it. I wanted to tell it. You suggested it again. After you suggested it, probably four other people mentioned it and I thought Okay, I should just start putting something down. Yeah, well, I, I just know that. I, I know yeah, well, I, I just know that I, I know it retreats, and when you had speaking engagements, you're like, I'm not gonna get into that portion of the story now. I gotta pull myself, and I was like watching you pull yourself back because you have you have 30 minutes to speak, and you gotta stay inside of them. I was like, man, I wonder what that other part of the story was. Like, I wonder what would happen if his brain actually got to, if the engineer got to go down that rabbit trail. Bob, um, Bob the engineer. I, anyway, I. Th- uh, yes. So, uh, what, when you say that so Jesus filter, what, what, what when you say that Jesus what filter? Is what, like, what, so what is your? You can move it. It's fine the, if it bumps or whatever. Uh, what is that? The uh, what is that? 
what it, it Jesus like filter that you're talking about. Like what it, it seems like that's there is, when you yeah. approach scripture, there's a baseline and it seems like it that Jesus filter, as you described it, is what, what is that filter? Is it something that you can put words uh, the, to? Or the, the phrase would be is Jesus is, is perfect theology. Okay, so Jesus pictures God. So you look at Jesus's life. Did, did Jesus ever kill someone? No. Well, theoretically, you look at the Old Testament and say, well, God kills all kinds of people. So how, how, do you, how do you fix that, Bob? How, how do you say, and, and there's different ways to do it. There, there are. Uh, it's the same thing. You know, did Jesus give anyone sickness? No, he always healed sickness. Oh, well, that's different. I always thought, you know, in the Old Testament, God gives people sicknesses. He gives them diseases. So why did Jesus have to come to picture God? And, and some people divide it by covenants. They say, well, the, you have the old covenant God and the new covenant God, and Jesus is the new covenant, and God, and it goes on and on and on. For me, I want, and, and I wanted to approach it saying, can, can God be consistent all throughout eternity, or does he periodically have to change his character in order to prove a point? And that made me uncomfortable. That logic... Making that moral and logical leap started to become more and more uncomfortable to me. And I was like, all right. That, that there would be a God that would compromise who he is to make a point. Yeah. Because it feels very human. Yeah, right. It, it, it does. And I do understand people's experience. It's like, well, but God, you know, I, I got cancer, but now my whole family knows the Lord. So God must have get, done that. And I think, no, 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 no. No. Can can God's goodness override everything? Absolutely. Right. Like the scripture is saying he, he can make all things work together for our good, but that doesn't mean he initiated it. Right. Yeah. It's like this this exists and I can make this work. Yeah. And I don't want to you know hog the pod, uh, this episode with that but that concept can run for days. Yeah, because it's very disturbing to people to hear. And I'm tempted to. <laughs> right, and I don't blame you. And we can do more. We can do more. Um, all right, well, well, we'll go, we'll aim at the podcast specifically. So so one of the more successful episodes as far as people that, you know, listened and gave feedback was was the David and Goliath episode. And so um, I, I've heard you tell that story a number of times and I've seen it like develop, but, but one of the things that kind of, that stuck with me. It, David and Goliath's a very familiar story, right? So to, the the logic of uh, the thought process of possibly hearing something new out of the David and Goliath story. <laughs> but then I've actually quoted some. So so the one the one that stuck out for me was that was you know when David goes to the river and picks out the stones, right? He picks up it was five stones, right? Five. Um, yep. I always worry that I'm going to say the wrong number. Um, so I'll say like seven of the number of completion. Um, so he picks, up, he picks up five stones and he's going to fight Goliath. So he's like, to, to me, it was like, yeah, if I was fighting a, a giant, I don't think I would have stopped at five. I think, <laughs> I think I would need to hit him with a lot of rocks to slow him down, at least so I could get away. But you, you came to, you've, said in your story that it wasn't that uh, that David went down and picked up five stones because he had God and five chances. It was because um, Goliath had four brothers. So he was going in and going like, just in case I need to take out the other four, which actually even gives some context to me as to, I always kind of wondered like, all right, you killed the giant. I think you proved your worth, 13-year-old David. Um but he still ran over there and then grabbed the sword and chopped off Goliath's head. And I was like, oh, that would be a nice intimidation factor of just going like, hey, brothers, don't. You know, so I, uh, but where in the Bible, it's not, I don't see the four brother thing. So how did you get there? What sources did you use? <laughs> where did you look that up? And to be, to be fair, I wanted I, I know that you don't know. I know that you care more about the story. I just want them to know whoever's yeah, listening. Yeah. 
I know you care more about the story. So you don't always have like the references at your fingertips. You just know that you've researched them. So I did tell Bob, I was going to ask him this question ahead of time so that he did have the resources at his fingertips. So I could ask the question. Um, so the, the best resource is in second Samuel 21. Uh, we start, I think around, yeah. Verse 18. You're basically in Second Samuel 20, 21, you have like this, I call it like a high highlight reel of different things that David did in his life. So um, here uh, in this in, in this version, they're called Sons of the Giant, but um, most have those as as brothers because they came from their father who would be the giant. So uh not Goliath was also would considered a son of the giant. So it came to pass after this that there was a, a battle in the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibiachi, the Hishtite, slew Saf with which was of the sons of the giant. And then the next verse. Um, another another brother of Goliath is killed by the Gittite. And then the next verse. Uh, there was another battle in Gath. There was a man of a, a giant who had six fingers and six toes, and he was also born of the giant. And these four, verse 22, these four were born of the giant, in other words, brothers of the giant, in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his of his servants. So it's it's there in the Bible. It's just- it's just way different section. It's in a different sec- different book. I and, never would have made the connection to the giant. And yeah. most everybody, right? Honestly, some most most people who would know it don't have the time. They don't have they don't have they have a twenty minute sermon, or they've got junior high kids, and you're trying to you know you're trying to keep them in the gory details of the head splitting open and the and the blood and the gore and all that. But as you know, um, because you've told me, you know. Uh, to do championship type of battles in that culture was not unusual. It kept, you know, kept you from killing off all your hardworking farmers. So uh, if if a relative died in a championship, then then his immediate relatives could immediately step in and continue the battle. So David had to be ready for the brothers to come. And the... We saw an example of that with with John and and his sword bearer. I think in yeah, episode yeah. like two or three, yep. like his, he did that, and then another champion stepped in, and he killed that one too, and then another champion stepped in, and he killed, and then two thousand of them start running. Right. Like, I remember one of the hardest times I ever laughed in a sermon was you narrating that and the engineer kind of having fun. Yeah, yeah. Like you were, you were saying, like you got to imagine there's two thousand of them. There's no way they see this one guy standing in the front of this crowd, so they just see their friends and their soldiers running towards them. So they turn and start running too. And they, and <laughs> then you're like, so what are we running from? He's like, there's two guys and they're killing everybody. Two, like two, 200, like two, th- no, two. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, anyway, it's burned into my brain. Everybody was laughing. Nice. Um, so what to you, so because there's, there, I mean, that changes the scope that changes the story. I mean, to go from from five chances and a belief in God to I'm picking up five stones in case I have to kill five people because I am certain God's going to bring me through this. That's a completely different context. What what are some pretty commonly misinterpreted scriptures in the life of David? Well, like what is that interpretation? Why is it seen over and over again in translating this story that might drive you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think probably. For David and Goliath, even even in the title of it, so many people look at it as though this was David's giant, and and there's books about it, like you know God God's going to put this giant, you know God put Goliath the giant in David's path because he knew that David had was a giant killer, that sort of thing, and that again goes to a concept about God saying, yeah, I'm going to put this guy in front of you because I'm going to prove a point. The reality in the story is this was Saul's giant. This belonged to the nation of Israel. And for 40 days, they sat and did nothing. David comes into the scene, 
right? It wasn't his giant, but he took it on not for the nation, not for Saul, but because he took offense at how belittling this giant was to the God of Israel. His passion for God is what took on, is what had him take on the giant. And he didn't know he was going to get out of it. He was prepared to, but he didn't know. Uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that goes to my idea of sovereignty, which was another bonus, you know, podcast. But that was there were there was <laughs> there was a possibility that he doesn't hit the giant. I guess I guess that kind of makes sense. Like even even if you're certain, like, look, I'm picking up five stones because he's got five brothers. Uh, either God's with me, or the other four stones aren't going to stop him either. <laughs> that's right and i I think also the time of it i'm uh i'm very much aware of time periods in bible in the bible and how much time it takes for something to happen and i think i know i said this in the podcast i think it probably took david at least a day or maybe two to finally get on the battlefield i don't think it happened in a matter of of a two-hour period of time Mm. because you've got Probably ten to twenty thousand men. That, at some level, David's interacting with before he gets to Saul. And it has to go up the chain to get to Saul. And when you know what time of day did he arrive? And how long did it take him to drop off the food? And then he hears the giant. And then he sees all the men. And then he he hears what could happen if someone kills the giant. Then he checks in with his brothers who are upset that he's there. Like there's just all this time. And that often gets missed. I think when people tell stories, there's, there's another, uh, if, if I, if I can indulge another, uh, deal, it's your podcast, but, yeah, it kind of, it ties into the giant thing. Okay. So if you read that passage in, in second Samuel 21, that I just read, one of the giants gets killed by one of David's mighty men uh, because David got cornered by the giant. Like he was, he was, it literally says he was about to die. The giant was going to send the spear through David's life. Like there was no, no doubt. Right. And then this guy uh, starts with an A. I can't hear It's bad. I can't remember his name, but he comes in, he kills the giant. And it says from that point on, they, his men begged David to no longer come into battle with them. They said their their heart was, what you're doing with the nation of Israel is so precious to us that if you die, the light of Israel will go out. In other words, the type of culture that you're creating that's so different from Saul's culture, it's so life-giving to the nations that if you die, no one else can do this. There's no... that like the we appreciate that you want to fight alongside yeah, us, yeah. but please don't fight alongside us. Yeah, we need anything can happen out there. Please be safe. <laughs> and and I kind of picture like that initial conversation starting with this guy like standing on the giant, looking at David in the corner, going, "Dude, you've got to stop coming out here with us. Like if I wasn't out here, you'd be dead, and everything we we've, we've worked for would go with you." Like, you got to stop. And it says from that point on, he stopped coming. We fast forward to the story of Bathsheba, and so many preachers bang home this point, right? And the, in the time, in the spring, when kings go out to war, well, David didn't go out to war. David was in the palace when he should have been on the battlefield. Like, there's all these little quippy things. And it's like, no, guys. If you paid attention to the story, if you did like 15 minutes of research, you'd realize he hasn't been on the battlefield for years. He stays home because no one wants him to die. And if you read a little further, it's, uh, when, when he talks about Joab, Joab's getting ready to go into a city that they had laid siege to, and he sends a message back to David and says, hey, we're about to take on the city. You need to come and ride in or they're going to think or they're going to give me credit for it, basically, is what he says. So David hops on his little donkey and rides out there and he rides into the city and he's the victorious king. That was their that was their deal. And it, and it started with the death 
of one of Goliath's brothers who was about to kill David. And that's why he stopped going on the battlefield was because his men begged him to. And so that's another little frustrating thing because it's like, <laughs> okay, so he wasn't. I like it because it's also a teaser because we're rapidly approaching these stories as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like. And the whole Some thing, of this we've already covered in episodes, but it's coming. <laughs> like, I, I have them recorded. I just have to edit them and post them. Like, Ta-da! Yeah. Uh, same thing with the Be- story of Bathsheba, the idea that she, um, you know, I remember growing up and for, and for a lot of, I just, you know, you just take the preacher's word for it. So the idea that she was, you know, taking a bath on the rooftop, like this was a bad, like she should have known better. Uh, it was usually done as like this, manipulative uh, push on girls to be, you know, you got to be careful what you wear. You got to be careful where you're wearing it. You got to be, you know, you got to be aware. But if you do a little bit of cultural research, it was not unusual for people, for girls to take baths on the rooftop. And it was not unusual for David to see topless and naked women from his palace. There were there were women who we'll it's a call little them unusual now. That's why I get so many neighbor complaints. But oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, you you picture this. You picture this for lack of a better phrasing, and and I don't know if the Kardashians would ever do this, but people who want to be noticed find ways to be noticed by celebrities so that they can get them get what they want, which is free housing and food for the rest of their lives. So it would not have been unusual. When David's on the palace balconies, for girls who want to be noticed and be part of his harem to find a way to capture his attention so that they could possibly join that harem. Topless women were not that unusual for him to see. People don't think about that. They think, oh, David's just an innocent guy staying at home from the battlefield because, well, he's a little overweight and he's, you know, he's, he's middle aged now. He can't quite hold the sword like he used to. And he's dreaming of his younger years. And then out of nowhere, there's this naked woman right next door. This this vixen. Yeah. This vixen who, (laughs) who should have known better. Oh, please, please people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, and another one. No, <laughs> we're moving on. We're moving on. We got other questions for you. All right. I have to ask this question um, because uh, your your wife will, will punch me in the trachea if I don't. <laughs> who, who is your source of insight for the self-revection? Uh, self-revection? Who am I? Self-rejection. Who is your source of insight for self-rejection being the motivation for Saul's demise? <laughs> Um, this, this was a, this was, I guess was personal. Uh, and I watched the ramifications of, of this in, um, yeah, in my wife for years. And more recently I've watched her overcome it, which took a ton of work on, I mean, all, she deserves a ton of credit for walking this out, but the logical extreme of it, I think is very easily seen in the life of of Saul. And when that filters on Saul, I think it, it brings, it, it brings to light uh, a lot of how Saul got to where he got. And I know I dealt with that a little bit uh, this past week in the episode of about him killing the priest. When you are when you are struggling, right, with that inner health, if you want to call it, uh, and you can't you can't you can't be honest with others because you have no idea who you are. So you're doing exactly what other people expect you to do. And I think he had a father that he constantly was trying to impress and show that he really could lead people. And I think uh, I think he just fell down that pit. I don't think he was ever possessed. I just don't. I, I don't think the evidence is there. I know it's easier to say he was possessed because when you're preaching uh, in a 30-minute segment, you have to come up with an easier explanation. 
but I can't believe that God chose Saul to be the king out of spite and was like, I'm going to choose some guy who has a terrible heart, who's going to be incredibly manipulative and arrogant and prideful, and you'll be sorry you ever asked for a king. I'll teach you. That goes back to that first filter. Would Jesus do something like that? I don't think so. So I have to look at it and say there was something in the heart of Saul that God saw and was like, he can lead my people. And I, I think we see it in the way that Saul worships. Yeah. I know Lewis Black has a, a the comedian Lewis Black has a joke like that is like, because he's Jewish and he goes, God's, God's pretty rough in the Old Testament. I, don't, I mean, in the, in the New Testament, in the second book, I mean, he had a son and he softened up a little bit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So you, you have images that you go to, like as you get to a part of the story, you, I mean, you think in pictures. So, um, you have, uh, stuff come up and, and, um, what are some, are there like movies or TV shows that you've watched personally that would, that like have influenced how maybe that picture appears in your brain? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. There's, there's, yes. What, what I, what I see in movies are I like, I like movies that show the atmosphere of of the culture, and I really like movies that show the time that it takes to get something accomplished, and I really like movies that develop the complicated layers of long relationships because they so influence people's decision-making. So along those lines, um, some of the, some of the ones that I often will picture in my head, uh, would be, um, um, well, Lord of the Rings, I think captures the idea of a journey really, really well. And the way that friends work together, the way that, um, family and home mean so much to people. Uh, I think Game of Thrones captures a lot about tribal mindsets and the way that kings, it was very unusual for a king to rule absolutely, even if they had theoretical power. Absolute power. Yeah. Absolute power. Because the reality was without electronic connections, you really could set up your own little world inside a king's world. And as long as you didn't cause any trouble, no one was going to bother you. It, it was, and I think Game of Thrones captured that. They also capture a really good uh, thing that I like, which was how long it took to get somewhere. <laughs> I remember there was this whole it's season, three, I think, where- Three episodes, they're still walking. <laughs> yeah, right. When I, Was it Jamie was walking with the with the girl who ended up Becoming yeah. a knight, right? And it was like a whole season long. They're walking between like entire castles that have gone to war and been collapsed. And by the time they show up, the their whole landscape had changed. And I thought that that's that's a reality in in a period of time where technology didn't exist. So that was those sort of things. Uh, and then uh, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, uh, just just the passion of of that uh, that society, that culture of the Middle East. And um, were there any characters that stood out from that made they were like, oh, that's the relationship between this character and this character. Uh, is I kind think, of like, I think oh, I can't I can't remember their names. I think the king and kingdom of heaven, the king of the local people, not the crusaders. Uh, I think he gave me a really good idea of of David because he he tried you know he he was not just a blood and guts king and i'm sure david was surrounded much like he was with tribal families that wanted blood and guts they wanted revenge this is the way we settle things this is the way we settle this is this is the way yeah this is the way <laughs> and this guy was wise enough not to do that on a on a regular basis um, 
So we have another question that one of them is who are your top five characters in the life of David? <laughs> David excluded. Oh no, no, no. This is this is so difficult. Um Okay. Okay, I, I know my top two. Mine's Goliath and his four brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be true. Please uh, download Brian's uh, album called Brian the Giant <laughs> it's on cool. It's cool. iTunes and Spotify. <laughs> um, I think... Hashtag Team Soul. There you go. Um, I think uh, one, of the, one of my characters that I really enjoyed was uh, Ahithophel, which is... Bathsheba's grandfather, and he, although he ends up being the, I believe, the brains behind Absalom's coup, he's a character that clearly connected with David in the caves and maintained relationship with him through all of that, and then, but but he wasn't a warrior, so he's a unique character in that he's not one of David's mighty men. But he was a, you know, he was a wise man. David compared his wisdom to that of God, so that's a pretty pretty high standard. Uh, I think Nathan, uh, the prophet, and uh, mostly because clearly he had a place of of honor in David's life, but. And, and I get into this a little bit in the story, I think it was Nathan, Bathsheba chose Nathan as the male uh, mentor for Solomon. So I think David, uh, I mean, David was who he was as a father. I don't think he was very good at it. Uh, I make that really clear throughout the podcast as well. But I, I think Nathan was the mentor for Solomon. I think that would be an amazing role to have. And... A top five. So that's two. Those are my. That would be five and four. Uh, number th- three would be. Would be, uh, Zadok. Uh, uh, Zadok is another priest who showed up. Uh, he shows up later in David's uh, life, but he played a key role in bringing David back, and it's one of those names that basically keeps popping up in every major. Uh, uh, narrative of David's life after he's king. It's like, and, and Zadok the priest, and Zadok the priest. So I have, I guess, two religious leaders there that I, I think I'd be a part of. The second, my second one would be Jonathan. Uh, I just, it, there's nothing that's written about Jonathan that isn't good. He's nothing. The, he's the Samwise Gamgee to me right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great character connection. He really is. Yeah. And and he has that role in David's life, like Sam did to Frodo, for yeah. sure, for sure. I just the see I, the picture that popped in my head as a because I had I edit the podcast, so I listened to it and then I listened to it again. But both times it came up like when uh, when David had to go and and Jonathan was trying to sneak him away, like John was getting him away. I just I pictured the my Sam scene. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It was no, like this heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, that's great, Brian. I like that. And my number one guy is one of his mighty men. His name is Benaiah. And Benaiah is is found there in 2 Samuel where you just kind of get some highlights. Benaiah um uniquely he it says he killed a, a lion in a pit on a snowy day. So evidently he fell into a pit which was designed to kill things. But instead, he killed it. He killed the lion who had fallen in there earlier. And then he crawled out. And I just, I find it fascinating that it was on a snowy day. Like, why do we need to know that? But the, the phrase that blows my mind is, here's a man who's one of David's mighty men. He oversaw David's uh, personal guard. He trained David's uh, palace warriors, which probably means he trained assassins, which is another, like Assassin's Creed is another thing that runs through my head. Uh, And then, but it says he was more honorable than all. Like that, that's like, like Joab was was the the commander in chief out in the war out on the battlefield, right? And and his two uh, nephews were also commanders in the part of the mighty men. 
But I guess in my head, it's like Benaya is like that guy on the team that even though you have the athlete and you have the captain and you have the the high scorer, if they all get talking, it's like, yeah, but we all want to be like that guy. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what we've accomplished, he's who we actually want to be like. And I just, I love Benaya. If, if we could have another child and it was a boy, I would name him Benaya. <laughs> But Brian, maybe, you know, just keep that in mind. No. One one and done for me. One and done. The uh oh, I'm looking up another question. What was the first name? The first uh, it was number five. It started with an H. Ahithophel. Ahithophel. There's it's when I hear names like that in the Bible. It's it's a thought that I've had a bunch of times. But it's like, all right. So, so Saul's wandering around, he gets the fish scales over the eyes, and then the angel turns to him and says, your name's Paul now. So there's a biblical precedent. But Saul was easy enough to say. They couldn't have done that with Mephibosheth. Look, right? You're oh. Mike now. Why? I have so ordained it. <laughs> it is the will of heaven. <laughs> it is the will of heaven that I don't have to say that name again. Oh, there were many a podcast. I wish I didn't have to say that name. <laughs> um, all right. Another question. Growing up in a world where you've heard slash read the Bible many times, can you tell us any specific points in your life where the story of David influenced or impacted you the most? Oh. Um, <laughs> there's a few bosses I've been through that remind me of Saul. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that I think David carries in. Yeah, there are times in my life where Bob's resume will be available on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, no, there. Yeah, there are times. The way that he works with Saul, I think, is important because it's not that it's not that I've worked with someone that has maintained like Saul did, but there are there are times when you're working for somebody that you bel- you you know you would do things different. And that had to be a feeling that David sensed a lot after his anointing, even though... The John's approach, too, stuck with me when mm. you talked how how he was honoring his father, oh. but he was like, oh, but but no, Dad. <laughs> you know, yeah. the combination of the two. Yeah, the, the way people have to interact with that personality and still try to honor it, even though it's... They honor the position, and they honor what they believe God, the way God sees them. Right. Right? So if God sees them as whole and complete. Even and though they're, they're acting even less than. Even though they're acting less than, then that's the way we should approach still it. Still trying to respond to the complete picture, even though that's not all in front of you. Right? Yeah. And I think sometimes, many times, I think David had to look across the table, and probably Jonathan as well, and go, that's really not who my dad is. That's not who Saul really is. It's who he's acting like right now. Yeah. And so they I saw to... grandpa. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of grace, I think, to draw from David's life uh, for others. Yeah. And um, was there, was there one, is there a specific one that you want to share where you had to deal with that? You don't have to. <laughs> I see hesitance. This isn't I, normal. Well, as it is. Next question. Is <laughs> Next <no>. question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll go with an easier one. Can you tell me how many times you think you've read the Bible from cover to cover? And how many times have you read through the life of David? I imagine the numbers went up with the life of David as you were preparing this podcast. So we'll go <laughs> before this podcast. Uh, I, uh, Yeah. I probably have read through the Bible, we'll call it 10 times cover to cover. Um, and there's various reasons for it. Uh, some of them personal, some of them were required because of the schooling I, I had the privilege of being a part of. Um, since then, I've probably read most of the Bible dozens of more times, just not what I would consider completely cover to cover. And then the life of David, it's got to be it's got to be triple digits. Yeah. I but I I am not a numbers person, so it <laughs> never really mattered to me. 
to keep track. Like to me, I, I, I read for, I read for the story of it and the, the visual of it and the relationship part of it to, to think through, all right, where was this person sitting and what was around them and who was around them? And when they made that decision or when they said those words, what was part of that, you know, you don't do that in a vacuum. And a lot of us read scripture in a vacuum or, or they'll preach scripture in a vacuum and they don't complicate what's there. And I think it's very complicated. So yeah, I find myself reading and then I, then I, I'll, I'll wake myself up like 10 minutes later because I'm now staring at the wall and I'm thinking about all these other things. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was reading. I should, I should finish this chapter. <laughs> I should finish this verse. All right. I have a question. It's another question. I would put two and then we'll be done. This is the last two. But I have one that's not on here because I, I'm curious. And because I get to do the interview portion, I get to ask it. I love it. <laughs> and then I'll, I have one more that I'll ask, and then, then we'll close it. But um, I'm going back to David and Goliath. All right. Uh, just as the example. So I know I know Saul has, I mean, it's it's really easy to see just the the Saul's uh, weaknesses throughout this story um, in, in a lot of places as well. I never, it's more apparent with the context of Saul and his father um, in the story of, of David and Goliath, but I'm, I keep picturing you essentially have a shepherd boy whose own father denied him, who's approximately like what, 12 or 13 at this time when he approaches to, to, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, you ran Lakeside Christian camp. You dealt with a lot of 13 year old. You dealt with as me as a camper, as a 13 year old. And so I just am thinking of the 13 year olds that I, I do youth band stuff with now. And that guy coming up and saying, I'm going to take care of that 10 foot giant in that moment. I'm team Saul. I'm, I go, <laughs> I go, Nope, I get your hesitance. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, no, David, I don't think this is what's going to happen. He's like, no, I got a sling. I got some rocks. We're, we're doing this. He said bad things about God. I was like, okay, you young zealous kid. Um, why don't you sit down and later <laughs> after we handle this, we'll talk about it. And then Saul even says, all right, look, I'm not going to stop you. Fine. You're going to go fight Goliath. And he's like, this kid is going to be on the bottom of his shoe. And at least I can't just, I'm a king. I can't just go send a 13-year-old out there with a stick. Like, I killed a lion, though. Okay, fine. Still, this guy's got a spear and armor and a giant sword, and he's huge. You have to at least try to put on my armor. And he goes, okay. And then the kid goes, it's too heavy. He's like, look, I tried. And I imagine, I just keep picturing Saul, like, as David walks out to go fight Goliath, David just, uh, like, Saul just turning to the guys next to him was like, I tried, you saw me try to give him the armor, right? Like, <laughs> you saw, <laughs> like it, it doesn't seem in the context of we already know, we know what happens, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we say, well, Saul, just get out of the way. The Lord's with him. I, in that moment, I don't know, like if you think of any 13-year-old that goes to your church, I don't care how good of an athlete he is, you wouldn't put him up against Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You just wouldn't. And I, I can't, like, is Saul... Is there something I'm missing there? Is that a is that a reasonable point? It seems like a real reasonable place for Saul to be coming from in that moment. Like what what is what is he missing? Like how would Saul is it a past hurt that prevents Saul from seeing what what God's doing that moment? Was he just not supposed to see what God was doing? Like mm. I know it's a, a like a 17 part question with That's the story a, in there. Let but. me deal with the first part. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're unreasonable in that. I I do, uh, and and for those reasons, that's why I think it took more than a few minutes for David to to yeah. do this. I think I think you have forty days of being emotionally charged, emotionally beaten, emotionally 
um, challenged, not just by Goliath, but by your your leadership of your army, by the army men themselves, people that are questioning you, wondering where your leaders, you know, what type of leader you are that you could take, that you just, are we all just going to sit here all summer? Like we've got, at 40 days, I've got, I've got crops I got to get home to. Like guys are going to start going home. He's, he's, he's in a tight spot. Yeah. Saul is. And, and culturally a 12, 13 year old boy is not considered a, like we would now, right? Right. He, he would have been well-trained, well, uh, he would have been considered mature, would have been considered a, a young man slash adult by most standards. So it's not like you and I looking at a junior high guy. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, but, thinking but only I, physical stature. Yeah, yeah but yeah. physical stature, he's probably, yeah, he's probably uh, not a lot to look at. But when uh, when he gives his testimonies and tells the stories, I think uh, Abner, uh, Saul's commander, probably spent most of the day with David and I would imagine that somewhere along the line, he gave his his thumbs up to it. Like, yeah, like this kid's like legit. Like this guy can sling a rock and he might be our best choice. We've had 40 days. Nobody else is here. So <laughs> like you ain't going out there. I'm not going out there. If we lose them. I, yeah, see, even then I don't. If I we lose him, we've, we've lost a 13-year-old boy, and we all can run home. I mean, and, and I made that point too, right? Theoretically, your champion dies, and everybody becomes a slave, but that's not true. What's true is the champion dies, and everybody runs, and right. you get to chase them for days if you want to. So they were they were taking their their odds are, we'll get home safe. <laughs> I, I just I keep thinking in that moment, I get I get the fear of I all those too. other adults. It's I just too. like. It's like you got this big guy just taunting you. You're like your your outfit's stupid. Well, I'll work on that. I appreciate your feedback. <laughs> All right, last question. <laughs> just Goliath standing there with his spear. I don't like your haircut. Well, I can shave it if that would make you feel better. All right, last question. Have you personally changed your perspectives on the meaning behind the story of David over time, or have you always believed what you do now? And what? What would have brought about the pers- uh, that change of perspective if, if it did change? Oh, yes. I've, I've changed my perspective on David a lot through the years. So one of them... might still subject to change. Right? It probably is. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a lot to be said to the beauty of the Jewish culture that understood that they don't know everything and that discussion and dialogue was highly valuable. And denominationalism, I think, killed that. It made theology a rock rather than a conversation. So my position on David as a father changed a lot as I read the story over and over again because I kept looking at his kids. And the only kid that turned out right that we know of is Solomon. And Solomon, and when you, when you again, when, you know, if you read it and you picture it in your head, those last hours of of before before Solomon is crowned, it's Nathan and Bathsheba that are pleading his case. So he was probably raised by somebody who wasn't David, mainly his mother. I think she's an, a fabulous character to study on Mother's Day. I just think she was a, a, clearly an amazing mom. Uh, she was given a place of honor next to Solomon. She, she sat in the throne room with Solomon on his left-hand side because he he honored his mother so dearly because I think she raised him, and Nathan was his father figure. Not that he didn't honor David as his father, but David had some flaws as a father, and I think that's fairly clear through his children. And then uh, David as a... Uh, uh, not as a... Uh, David as a, as a warrior... I think adjusted periodically. David as um, he always fascinated me as a worshiper, but it expanded when I realized that, especially in studying for this particular podcast, what he set up 
next to the palace, the 24-7 worship that he set up next to the palace was something that was, was literally never been done before in the history of the planet. Like, it didn't matter who you worshipped. Nobody had set up what he set up. And where did he get that pattern from? How, how did he figure out? The logistics of the numbers that you look at, 4,000 musicians. I've tried to put together four bands for one night. <laughs> like, like, right? Brian, I mean, you're a musician. You know this. Like, logistically, the personalities of all those artists, I just think, what, what, what? <laughs> like, this is insane. But it speaks to what this guy, like, he had it. He had a vision for this, and he put it together, and he had no pattern to follow except what I believe he picked up from God. I, I believe he picked it up in heaven. And he was like, yeah, I can do that on earth. I can, I can do that. It had to be fascinating to me. And that's just a little piece of it because I go into it in much more detail. <laughs> Coming soon on the epic narrative. Yeah. No, oh, man. When you said, can you imagine trying to put four bands together? Bob, I've tried to put one band together. And when you said 4,000 musicians, I got exhausted. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, though, when everybody's oh. like collectively, when people just come, especially like living room worship stuff that like wasn't expected. Like, oh, there's a cajon, there's a guitar, we're going for it. And then like 45 minutes later, you're like, oh, that was, that went fast. Right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Well, it was beautiful. Thanks for coming down. I'm Dude. glad we got to do this. I love hanging with you. <laughs> it's fun. All right. And here's the outro music. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Thank you.